appreciate. You know, as we were uh, praying, praising there, uh, so often I ask God for a picture and I ask Jesus to reveal himself to me and quite often he's sitting at the side of me. Uh, other times he's, he's walking through the fields and uh, I pray this morning that he'll be right there at the side of me as I share with you. So there I am, that's me, Craig Wood, as you've already heard from Sue. Um, we are a pair, and uh, on Tuesday of this coming week, we'll have been married 42 years. How she's put up with me for that long, I'm not quite sure, but never mind. When I took on this challenge, <clears throat> this was the scope I was asked to cover. Um, and you can imagine that I was a little daunted. And for two days, I felt as if somebody had a fire hose and was just pointing this fire hose at me and this mass of information, of data, was just overwhelming me to the point of the second day where I was almost on my knees before God, saying, Lord, how do I make sense of this? You know, all the books, the videos, the scripture references had just all become too much. How do I distill this down into 40 minutes? And it was as I was finally brought to my knees, um, almost like that rabbit in the headlights to mix, my to mix my metaphors, that God started to show me perhaps to stand back. Don't get into the detail. Look at that big picture of what God's seeking to reveal to us. So before I start, perhaps you would... Pray with me. And I'm afraid that I learnt my Lord's Prayer from the, from the King James. So um, those of you who, like me, are into the King James, perhaps pray with me. And uh, the rest of you, perhaps pray in whatever version you have been brought up with. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory, for ever and ever. Amen. What an amazing prayer, and what a radical prayer. How amazing it will be when God's kingdom finally comes into the fullness of its glory. How amazing that will be, and 
how amazing it is that we are entrusted with bringing that something of that kingdom to reality here wherever God puts us in the lives of those around us in the situations that we come into and it's only in God's strength that we can do that we can't do that in our own strength as I say I, this fire hose was coming at me and as I stood back God said to focus on what God is revealing of himself in these scriptures. What does it mean for us today? And what did Father God particularly want me to focus on this morning? And I pray that even as I speak, God will put aside my notes, put aside all that I've prepared, and that I will bring what it is that he wants me to bring. This is what's become known as the, the SCF vision wheel. It's in a slightly different format to the one that you, many of you have seen on the, uh, on the paper but it's still the same. And it all starts at the top. It all starts at the top with that adherence to God's word. And all the other statements in that vision wheel spring out of that adherence to God's word. And as I looked at this afresh in preparing, I was struck even more that all of these aspects around the wheel are all about movement. Uh, Andrea, in one of our Joining the Church sessions, used the term kinetic, that, there was a kin that, that all these vision statements are all kinetic. They all involve movement. They all involve us as people moving. They all involve us going on some sort of journey and as I read through these scriptures, that was the other thing that came out to me, that God takes people on journeys. There's so many examples of God taking people on journeys, and he's taking us on a journey, and so we can learn so much from the people that have gone before. Just to remind ourselves that the kingdom of God and forgive the lousy graphic, uh, is God's people in God's place under and enjoying God's rule and blessing. And that's the theme that's coming all the way through these talks that we're engaged in, this series of talks we're engaged in at the moment. Throughout this, the span of scripture, we see God's desire for a relationship with his people and for those people to, to live in that right relationship with him, that relationship, 
that right relationship that he defines. Almost like a biblical torrent outside at the moment. So what do we see? We see that God loves us. God loves us. And he loved the people that have gone before as much as he loves every one of us. And he's got this amazing plan for mankind that starts with Adam and Eve right at the very beginning. And if we rip the back cover off the Bible, if we take the back cover off the Bible, it's a plan that's still alive now, here, and working in and through us. It didn't stop with Paul and the apostles and all that stuff 2,000 years ago. God continually demonstrates his heart to save people, to save people from themselves, to save people from that inbuilt selfishness, that inbuilt greed, that inbuilt searching after things which are not of God. Time after time after time, he demonstrates that he wants to lift us out of those things and take us into better, better things. And we see him making everlasting promises. Andrea shared last week about covenants and promises. A little bit more of that in a minute. And we see that ultimate plan to save us in Jesus hanging on the cross. Hanging on the cross in agony so that you and I could be free of all those things that drag us down and hold us back. But God isn't abstract. So often, because our minds can't comprehend the enormity of God. Somebody showed me a line once on a piece of paper, and they said that's something that's rolled, that, that's something, um, a, a pattern that's been made by something in ink. What is it? Describe it. And it was a ball. But when you looked at the line on the piece of paper, how could you imagine that that was made by a ball? You just can't comprehend. We can only comprehend a small amount. But God is as real as you and I. And that amazing hymn that we just sang, God in three persons, blessed trinity, As you go back to St. Augustine, who wrote the seminal work on the Trinity, he talks of, he uses two words, key words, essence and persons. And he says, when you think of the essence, think of godness, that all three, mem- all three persons in the Trinity have equal, are equally God. 
They've all got the same godness. And as you look at the three persons, none is more God than any other. They're all divine. And when you think of those persons, think of distinct personalities, distinct functions that they have. So God the Father, the one from whom everything came, the one who's the ultimate ruler, for whom we live, and then Jesus Christ through whom we live, 1 Corinthians 8. God the Son, through whom everything that was made has been made. And it was God the Son who chose to set aside that wonder of being God and come to earth as Jesus Christ the man. And he chose to set aside all that wonder and to hang on that cross for you and for me. God the Holy Spirit, who chooses to live in us, he's our counselor, he's our guide, and he's the one that empowers us to be fruitful in the kingdom for God. But yet they're all one. In Deuteronomy 6.4 we read, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So there's this wonder of three persons, blessed Trinity, who together form the Godhead. Throughout the Bible, God the Father demonstrates his grace. And that grace is at the center of who God is. And when I looked at the English the Oxford English Dictionary for the definition of grace. It was the free and unmerited favor of God as manifested in the salvation of sinners and the bestowal of blessings. It's not getting what we deserve. It's getting a wonderful gift that he wants to bestow upon us even though we don't deserve it. And it's clear through the scriptures that God uses people, people like you and me, to fulfill his plans. It's amazing to me that we have this all-powerful, omnipotent God who could actually reach down his hand and he could actually bring about all the change that he wants to bring about. But he chooses not to do that. He chooses to fulfill his plans and his purposes through ordinary people, the likes of you and me. And so we see in Joseph this amazing story of, or account of Joseph. And you can see how Joseph through his life would wonder, God, where are you? But through Joseph... God brings about his plans and the God rescues Jacob and his family and he rescues the nation of what will become Israel. And then he puts them in, he takes them into Egypt 
And then they get enslaved by the Egyptians. Lord, what are you doing? What are you doing? You brought us all this way only to be makers slaves. And then God places Moses exactly where he wants him to be. And God reveals this name to Moses. I am. And it's all I am who I am. And it's almost as if God is saying to Moses and the people of Israel, watch and see me. Watch and see what I do. And through seeing what I do, you will then understand more of who I am. Because names in biblical times had particular significance. They said something about the person. It wasn't just a label. It said something about the person's character and who they were. And then God brings the Israelites out of that bondage and into a new, a new era. He saves them. We see throughout that God is holy. And again, going to my Oxford English Dictionary, what does holy mean? Free from sin and evil, morally and spiritually perfect and unsullied. God is perfectly holy. And Father God wants to you see time and time and again how Father God wants to shower his blessings on people. But he also demands that we come under his rule and reign. God's promise to Abraham that we see in Genesis 12, he promises to, to make him into a great nation and I will bless you. And all the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. Now he makes this promise, even though Abraham is, is very, very old and his wife Sarah is very, very old. But Abraham believes God. And so it comes about. And then we see Abraham being asked to offer up his son Isaac as a sacrifice. But God provides, at the last minute, God provides that ram in the bush, that lamb. Again, we come back to this symbol of the lamb in the bush as the sacrifice instead of his son Isaac. God keeps his promises and we see time and again that God keeping his promise and saving his people in a number of different ways. In the Passover, we see the lamb being sacrificed. We see the blood of the lamb being put on the doorposts with a hyssop and the angel of death passing over. We see the God intervening directly where he parts the Red Sea. Um, we see him walking alongside people as shepherd and guide. We see the, the clouds of, uh, of, uh, of fire 
uh, during, during the night and, and dust by the, by the day. And he's faithful even when uh, his people aren't. And I, I was particularly taken to um, a piece of scripture in 2 Kings, actually, 2 Kings 8. And he, Jeroam, followed the ways of the kings of Israel as the house of Ahab had done, for he married a daughter of Ahab. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Nevertheless, for the sake of his servant David, the Lord was not willing to destroy Judah. He promised to maintain a lamp for David and descendants forever. And where is that lamp that's forever? It's in Jesus who comes from the line of David. And that lamp is there then forever. That's God keeping his promise through Jesus. Bless you, Katie, for, uh, for bringing that word about God's timing. Because so often, God's timing isn't easy to understand. So many of us have had words from God that haven't yet come to fruition. And yes, we have to keep walking around the walls of Jericho. But you know, there was, from the end of the Old Testament and the time of Nehemiah and Jesus' coming, there was 400 years where God was silent. Now I thought, 400 years, what was happening 400 years ago? in the UK. I'll tell you what was happening 400 years ago. James VI of Scotland became James I of England, Scotland, Ireland, and Wales. So imagine that from James I, or James VI, depending upon which part of the UK you're from, all the way through to today, God hadn't spoken. And then suddenly, God speaks. God's timing. Difficult to understand sometimes. The other thing that's clear throughout this scripture is place. And place being hugely important to God. And Latin speaks of belonging, allegiance, it was hugely important then and it's hugely important now and many of you uh, have come to the UK from other parts of the world and you, you've become British citizens but your identity, part of who you are, I'm sure, still remains in the land of your birth. And I was reminded of Elisha and, uh, and Naaman. If you remember the story, Naaman had leprosy and he came to consult Elisha and Elisha tells him to go and bathe in the Jordan. And Elisha's a bit put out because he's, he's kind of expecting something a bit more, bit more spectacular than that. And anyway, he does as he's told, and he goes into the Jordan, and he comes out of the Jordan, and his leprosy's gone. 
and he's, he's going to give Elisha all these gifts that he's brought. And Elisha says, no, I don't want anything. And then if you remember the account, Naaman asks for as much soil of the land as his mule or a mule could carry because it was clear to him that there was something about the land that was important and he wanted to take that back to his own land so that he could continue to worship God. But I asked myself, why did Abraham or Abram have to leave his land? Why did the Israelites have to go into Egypt? Why did they then have to wander about in the desert for all this time before they were actually taken back to where they started from in the first place? And God started to speak to me about the importance of obedience to God's call. About giving up that which is familiar, that which is comfortable. And being obedient to God's call and being able, being willing to go off into a journey where you don't really know where the end point is going to be and you don't know what you're going to have to cope with along the way. So there's something there about development of character as we put our trust in God. So many of you heard me so often talk about the importance of grit and development of that grit and how important that is. But God wants us to be in specific places at specific times. And it came to me that perhaps the Israelites were where, were where they were put, not as much for their own benefit as for the benefit of the peoples around them. That their influence, the Israelites were meant to be a model for the rest of the world. This was God's relationship that he intended was going to be a model for everybody to form into. It was never, in, never his intention that it would just be remaining with one nation. So he was wanting to influence the world. And of course, that's what he finished up doing through Jesus, wasn't it? But so perhaps God puts us in a place for a reason, not only for ourselves, but for the impact that we have on those around us. And God clearly cares about how we come into his presence. We see this in the, the specification for the tabernacle, the way that the, God was so specific about the way the tabernacle was to be set up. We see it in the curtain between the holy place and the, and the, and the holy of holies, the most holy place, where only the the chief priest could actually go through past that curtain. And we then see, as Jesus is crucified, that curtain of the temple is split from top to bottom. God opening up the most holy place so that everybody can enter into that presence of God.
And then I was reminded of this place that we sit in. Because if you remember, King David wanted to build a temple to the Lord. And God said to David, no, you can't build the temple, but your son will. And he's, he's, he then he, he's got into this whole cycle of sin and he chooses that God's anger will rest on the people. And the only way that he can stop this, God shows him, is by offering sacrifice. And he, he's brought to buy the threshing, the threshing floor of Arana the Jebusite. And this was a word that came to SCF as we were about to buy this piece of land that the bridge sits upon. That we as a people, as a body, were to pay the full price. We weren't to try and get it on the cheap. We weren't to try and get a deal. This was going to be a sacrifice to the Lord. And as a people, we were to honour that by paying the full price. And as you, most of you know, many people who were in the church at the time, in fact the majority, the vast majority of the people in the church at the time, took that as a personal invitation as well. Not to seek to give sacrifice to the Lord without paying the full price. And we sit in the benefit of the sacrifice that those people made at that time. Kingdoms need monarchs. God's plan was that he was going to be king of Israel. And he would be their king and they would be his people. But the Israelites rejected that and they turned away and they said, no, they wanted an earthly king. And God said to them through the prophet, do you realize what you're getting into? Do you realize that these kings will let you down? They will fail. And because of their failure, you, the people, will suffer. And that's what we see happening. That time and time again, we see Israel's kings failing. We see David, this great mighty man of God, failing miserably and having to come back and seek God's forgiveness. We see Samuel, uh, the, the we see Samuel anointing David as king, but he'd anointed Saul beforehand, hadn't he? And Saul had fallen. And so the people suffer. But this speaks to us individually, doesn't it? If God isn't on the throne of our lives, then who is? If God isn't on the throne of our lives, if God isn't directing our lives, 
then somebody or something is there in God's place. And I trust that we'll have time for, uh, for some ministry, but as we, so I'm gonna whip through the, the next three slides quite quickly, but I think it's, as God speaks to you, let God speak to you, are there areas of your life where Jesus isn't Lord? Are there areas of your life that you have to give up so that Jesus can truly be king of your life? Because we see what happens. We suffer when those things let us down and take us into the wrong places. So in summary, God's covenant relationship with his people included the making animal sacrifices. Those, the blood of those animals was required in order for the wrong things people did to be forgiven by God the Father. Jesus Christ, the second person of the Trinity, came down to earth as Jesus Christ and became that sacrifice for you and for me. And just like the, the Israelites in Egypt, God hears our cry for help and sees our need to be rescued for the things that stop us from being truly, to, truly free. And 2 Peter 3.9 the Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. God puts us in specific places for specific purposes. Sometimes it's difficult to understand why God puts us in a specific place, but rest assured, you're there perhaps not just for your own benefit, but for the benefit of those around you as well. And if, if you think that you're weak and you're flawed and you're not perfect and God can't use you, just look at Moses. Moses was weak. He told lies. He was deceitful. And yet God used him mightily. And he can use every single one of us too. And finally, very quickly, our words have power. And uh, so it's good when we're praying, when we're speaking to God, it's good to remember who perhaps we're speaking to. Are we just speaking to some theoretical person, being? Or are we speaking to God the Father? Are we speaking to God the Son? Are we speaking to God the Holy Spirit? So let's be intentional in our prayers and let's recognize who we're actually speaking to. And so.
Some of you will have heard me preach on this before, and this is the last point I'm going to make. Um, It's important to see the whole story of God as one big story from beginning to end. And it's important that we see that lamb in the Passover that allowed the angel of death to pass over the Israelites. That lamb then, and Jesus Christ as the lamb of God on the cross as all part of the same story. Because as we read in John 19, these things happened so that the scripture would be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And as another scripture says, they will look on the one that they have pierced. And the account of Jesus while they were eating that Passover meal. While they were eating, Jesus took bread and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples saying, take and eat, this is my body. So as we take communion in the future, the words we use have power. Are we going to remember that that meal, that sacrament that we're taking part in, is the reflection of that Passover meal all those years ago? And are we going to say, Jesus' body given for you? Or are we going to say, Jesus' body broken for you? Is there a difference? In one, are we remembering that entirety of the gospel and not in the other? So something to reflect upon. So home groups, there's some questions for you to chew on um, and um, some Bible verses. Have a look. Read it in different, uh, different translations and see where it takes you. And finally, if there's some of the things that I've shared today that are new, perhaps you've had a revelation of who Jesus Christ is for the first time. If as Katie's prayer earlier on, that God's timing, perhaps, you're questioning. If you've never realized who Jesus Christ is and you want him to come into your life and be set free from these things that are holding you back from the fullness of who God intended you to be, um, then come and uh, we'll pray with you and uh, you can go away blessed having known something of the touch of Jesus this morning, I pray. Thank you.